On this episode of That Was a Show. Hey, have you guys watched Teen Angel? That was a joke. I feel bad for the set decorators who put so much time and effort into <laughs> filling these rooms to make yeah. them look realistic as if it matters. Yeah. It's really not a bad set. It's fine. <laughs> the set is fine. <laughs> but first, a few words from the hosts. We began working on this fun podcast back in February of 2020 in the before times, as we say. But it's been a passion project for much longer than that. We recorded the first three episodes back when we could still sit together in a studio, before the need for social distancing. We never could have predicted that it would be launched during one of the most tumultuous periods in recent history. We hope that it brings you a bit of laughter and joy during these uncertain times. Most importantly, we wish to express our immense gratitude to the healthcare and essential workers keeping us safe, and our love and support to everyone fighting for justice and equality for Black and Indigenous people in Canada, the United States, and worldwide. And now, on to the show. Cold Open. We grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney. Aaron Yeager. And Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> hey, everybody. That was Aaron Yeager, one of our hosts. I'm your other host, Bryn Burney. And also with us is our other host, Andrew Helmer, or as I call him, Barry. Hello. So for this episode, we are bringing you another TGIF classic, Teen Angel. <laughs> Teen Angel premiered in September 1997 and was canceled after 17 episodes. It was created by Al Jean and Mike Reese, who are best known to be longtime producers and showrunners for The Simpsons. The show was intended to be a companion piece to Sabrina the Teenage Witch and another Supernatural-themed show, You Wish. The show is about two suburban best buds, Marty and Steve. At the start of the series, Marty dies from eating a six-month-old burger. He's sent back to Earth by God's cousin, Rod, to become Steve's guardian angel. It stars Mike Damis as Marty, Corbin Allred as Steve, Ron Glass as Rod, and Maureen McCormick as Steve's mom, Judy. So, Barry, why don't you tell us what happens in episode one of this show? Episode one, uh, which was called Marty Buys the Farm, just absolutely witty wordplay there, uh, was about what happens just after Marty consumes the ancient hamburger from under his friend's bed. The show deals in no way with any grief or consequences to this and instead just sends them on a zany adventure right away. After being sent back to Earth by God's cousin, Rod, uh, Marty is tasked with being Steve's guardian angel. 
They are thrown back together almost immediately, and Marty is determined to make things better for Steve at school. This includes, in no particular order, helping Steve to win points with the cool kids, defeat the school Billy, and to get one up on his history teacher. Marty makes use of his ridiculously endless skill sets of powers that includes conjuring ghosts, telekinesis, precognition, and the 90s staple, the Zach Morris time stop. He also likes to casually employ assault and torment in all of his uh, ways of helping Steve. Uh, that's essentially the first episode, and as it's the only episode I saw, I can only assume that's basically the plot of every single episode. Bryn, why the hell did we have to watch this? Yeah, I, uh, I, I really don't know what to say. I'm very conflicted about all of this. This is this rewatch of this show has really shook me. I basically chose the show because I remember it from when it aired. I was about 12 years old at the time, and I was very fascinated with sitcoms about teenagers, you know, because I was about to become a teenager. And I hate to admit it, but I actually really thought both Marty and Steve were kind of cute. But what I didn't realize was what a, like, horrifically misogynistic horror show it was and it's really making me question my own values and yeah then the teen angel writers have done their job <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't do the deepest dive in this rewatch but i definitely read a lot of episode summaries i watched a chunk from another ra- random episode which we'll talk about later um but yeah it's basically the entire series is um, a couple of horny young teenagers, who, one of whom is dead and is trying to help his living buddy get a date with a different girl each episode. Oof. Um, also, I'm going to do a Wikipedia-style disambiguation here. This is not to be confused with the 1989 Teen Angel, which was a one-hour serialized drama uh, based on an extremely similar premise. Mm, interesting. <laughs> that one yeah. lasted 12 episodes. But oh. that one had Jason Priestley and Jenny Garth in it, didn't it? Like from yes. 90210. Yeah. Correct. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that because it's not a sitcom. Yeah. So <laughs> where do we even start with this thing? Okay, I know where I want to start. Uh, let's talk about the conversation in the bedroom and... And that leading to the burger consumption and death sequence, just basically what happens in the first scene of the show, because I feel like there's so much terrible with that first scene that it really is a good primer for the whole the whole show. Yeah. So basically, it's Marty and Steve hanging out in Steve's bedroom, and I feel as though it's been written that they're high um, but obviously, because it's for TGIF audience, they can't show them as being stoned. So they're just goofing around like very sweet and innocent young teenagers. But apparently they didn't need to censor the pervy comments and misogynist comments. That was OK for a TGIF audience. But the fact that they were most likely in real life would have been stoned. That's that's the really bad and taboo part of the conversation. But what they did do is that they didn't actually say, say, oh, decide which of these two female celebrities you want to have sex with. It's obvious to us watching that that's what the conversation is about. But they have that little bit of plausible deniability of like, maybe they're just trying to see whose names they can remember. Oh, it's absolutely a G-rated who would you rather. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, it's also they're playing uh, '90s teenage boys' favorite pastime, which is idly throwing a ball at each other while they just shout out misogynistic comments on supermodels. Yeah, yeah, and the death sequence. Uh, anyone out there listening, just don't watch the whole episode because you know you'll never get that amount of time back in your life. But just watch the death sequence, and uh, you'll your mind will be blown. It's basically consists of Marty eating this six-month-old hamburger on a dare from Steve. And instantly, as soon as he starts to chew it, there's this weird, like, visual montage behind him of the sky opening up and things going in fast motion. And there's, like, different... You know, and he's chewing in an exaggerated, really silly way. And then it ends with him basically in the afterlife. Yeah, it is definitely ABC's version of having an issue with starting a TGIF show with a 16-year-old boy dying and really trying everything they can do to get around that with some form of zany effect. Like, wouldn't the, the easier and more effective thing being... Uh, w- wouldn't that be him saying, oh, it's not like eating this is going to kill me. Cut to his funeral. Like, wouldn't that make way more that sense? That would have been better than what they actually did. Absolutely. You know, would have been a lot cheaper to like <laughs> shoot and would have, you know. Yeah. But that's the way it would be done today. Yeah. What I expected for like, 90s was that he'd eat it. And then like an hour later, he'd be feeling really woozy. And then an hour later, he'd have like a severe fever and be really like sick and throwing up. And then he'd like go to the hospital. There'd be like the ambulance boo, goes to the hospital and then he's dead. Or like I thought they'd so, at least. Yeah. So you were looking for like the extended dysentery uh, plot <laughs> line in the in the TGIF pilot. Well, it, he doesn't even <laughs> swallow the first bite. Yeah, it's so weird. He just chews. He just starts chewing. It, and instantly, yeah. like the, the the contents of this burger are are we are to assume so potently virulent that he dies instantly without even swallowing I, it. I was saying earlier, like it would have been great to have like a little more of an explanation, like oh, it, it's super moldy, and it turned out Marty had an allergy to penicillin he didn't know about, or maybe there are some weird chemicals in the burgers because it's shitty fast food, and maybe that after six months becomes very toxic. But there's just like there's nothing. There's it's nothing. just no. And recording this from 2020 when we've actually discovered that a certain very popular we shall not name fast food restaurants burgers can actually keep for a full year without any form of disintegration. (laughs) I mean, we're looking back on this with rose tinted glasses here. Yeah. The opening title sequence that we get to after that, it, it seems to be and I again, I accidentally watched part of another or maybe i watched the whole other episode and so it seems that like the opening title sequence there's this it looks like a renaissance era painting of three angels and then he walks out in front of them with kind of like a fawns a sort of pose yeah and makes some like witty quip and each episode it seems to be a different witty quip so that's, none of which are funny so that's like their their simpsons chalkboard gag yes basically. yeah okay yes all right it's brutal yeah yeah and like in that first episode the quip is which one of you angels is Farah? obviously a charlie's angels like reference and there's like a oh lot- my god i still didn't get it until you just said it again yeah there's there's a lot of 
old 70s references when Steve asks Marty, are you always going to be wearing that same outfit? Because it's basically the outfit that he dies in, but because he's an angel now, it's all in tones of white and silver. Marty responds with, yeah, I'm like Gilligan. So there's all these references to classic television. And again, the audience, which is basically going to be like kids from ages 9 to 13, they're not going to get those references. Absolutely not. They're trying again to get the baby boomers to watch the show with them. But what self-respecting baby boomer would watch something with that plot? I mean, even 12-year-old me at the time was like questioning that. And it's a very common pitfall with uh, with sitcoms, and especially you see it a lot in the 90s, of sitcom writers only referencing the things that they grew up on. Yes. Yeah. Um, things they yeah. know. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe I'm sure 11 or 12 year old, you know, Barry would have understood yeah. the Gilligan joke. See, but the Farrah yeah. joke, you literally explained it to me twice until I finally yeah. got it. But I mean... Another thing to understand is most kids at that time were not like 12-year-old Bryn or 12-year-old Barry. We were like huge nerds and like knew way too much about television history, even as like young kids. So yeah, we got the references, but no other normal self-respecting 12-year-old would have known. (laughs) So I want to comment on this whole referencing concept too, because one thing that's important to know about our team here is that Bryn and Barry have encyclopedic knowledge of popular culture. I don't necessarily have that level of memory, but I watched a ton of sitcoms back in the 90s. Often, like, I wouldn't necessarily get the reference, but I would still find it funny because of the way it was delivered. So, like, The Simpsons was great at this, where there would be jokes that the 10-year-old kid watching wouldn't get it would just be over their head Mm -hmm. and if their parent was watching the parent would get the joke and be like wow that's biting satire but it was delivered in a way that would not disrupt the experience for the kid right or like i could watch a show like frazier and i might get half the references and half i don't get but it doesn't matter because Mm -hmm. even when a character like frazier crane makes a really like pretentious esoteric reference I'm able to laugh at the fact that he as a character would have that kind of attitude and make that kind of comment. So there's something about the delivery and I can't put my finger on it, but this show tries to do a ton of those style of jokes, like Mm -hmm. the kind that Frasier would do. And none of them are funny. And I mean, even just casting Maureen McCormick, who is famously Marsha Brady, as a kind of sad attempt to like appeal to the parent audiences. There's even a moment in the episode where she gets hit in the face by a football, just like she did in in an episode of the Brady Bunch. And, you know, she says, oh, my nose. It's like the most extreme example of that. Yeah, they they were definitely really trying to like have something for the parents there too. Well, get the parents. Yeah. There are certain digs at specific celebrities or other shows. Rod, God's cousin, says, uh, (laughs) like, you can help Kelsey Grammer. You know, he's gone through four guardian angels in the last week. Like, why? Why are you taking a shot at Kelsey Grammer in a show for teenagers when Frasier is at its absolute peak? Yeah, I I mean, I can't 
really speak to what was going on in 97, but I thought we didn't realize Kelsey Grammer was an asshole until way later. <laughs> no, not at all. He was a huge celebrity, the star of like one of the top rated shows. Yeah. And I don't think anyone at the time had anything really negative to say yeah. about him, no, at least not you know what this no, that, is, that guys? Joke wouldn't make, yeah, that joke wouldn't make sense you, if he wasn't. You know what it, this is? It's the producers and comedy writers poking fun at their buddy, maybe, because they also oh, dig at Chevy Chase. And it seems like it's this old boys comedy club. Yeah. You know, it seems like maybe they're just digging at somebody that they... Maybe, you know, a yeah. friendly rivalry or right because it's buddies. like an, a, a popular show on a rival network yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Sure. But either way, if you're like the presumably like 15 year old who's mm -hmm. supposed to be watching this, mm -hmm. you're not going to get those jokes. Yeah. No. Uh, again, I think a lot of it is them really thinking that there are parents watching this and very being very very mistaken on yeah. what the, what the parents <laughs> yeah. of the of, yeah. of North America were doing. At the time. I know. And yeah. then the jokes that are clearly in a style directed at teenagers are so pat. Like th th <laughs> there's one joke where it's like nice haircut, not. <laughs> So obviously this was made squarely during the not phase of comedy. Oh, that was a dark time. Dark time. Well, like you, you guys know you said that all the time too. Obviously. Yeah. This yeah. is exactly. It's just an it's just like an accurate snapshot. Not. Not. Yeah. Someone should have thrown me a a three show deal from a major network. It's true. Yeah. I was coming up with shtick like that all the time. Yeah. Actually, interesting side note, the speculation of whether they were smoking weed in the bedroom. Mm. There is that line of dialogue later where Steve walks into the room and the mom says something like, you're in a really good mood today. And the quip from Aunt Pam is like, check to see if his, what was it? Check to see if his pupils are dilated yeah. or something like that. Mm -hmm. I had a note about that Classic. somewhere. But another reference yeah. to obviously like, make sure he's not smoking drugs. Yeah. Like, do you guys think this could have been a better show if it were, act they actually leaned into those edgier things? Like if this were on Fox, for example, mm -hmm. and they went like full on edgy, dark comedy. Yeah. Like, it could have been okay, right? I, I think there's, yeah. I mean, I think if you did a light retool, and yeah, Fox probably would have been the better home for it, for yeah. sure. I think there's a, a way that it could have been funny. Um, I mean, unfortunately, in the mid-90s, teenage boys were just very annoying. And yeah, they were basically incels. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's basically how you boil it down. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, there were shows at the time that were edgier and like, if this conceit was filtered through the style of like a married with children, yeah, would it have worked? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I I don't know. I feel like maybe a show called Guardian Devil might work better than than oh. Teen Angel. Right away, that is already something that seems like yeah. it might work better. You're welcome. Let's talk about Aunt Pam. Do they ever really explain? who she is because I had to look it up to even know who that character was. They just refer to her as Pam and are we to just like... Uh, she refers to her as sis at one point. Does she? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, Aunt Pam is played by uh, Conchetta Farrell who basically played the same role in like thousands of television shows. Yeah, most notably in uh, Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Where she is basically like the the no BS, uh, sassy, tell it like it is, yeah. uh, uh, sort of figure. 
And she's her contract mo- states she gets one line of dialogue per act. Yeah. Per she's, story act. She's also most certainly like a studio note. Like yeah. her whole character was not, was definitely not in the script. It was like. Let's just put her in. Yeah. Can somebody sassy say something like, oh, sugar. Yeah. If Margot Martindale was busy, then Conchetta <laughs> Farrell's getting the call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most famously, she went on to play almost the exact same role in Two and a Half Men as Bertie, the housekeeper. So that was her longest running stint as the the sassy supporting character. But she's done it in like several credits on both film and television. Uh, So she's a huge success story. Also, um, Ron Glass, who plays cousin uh, Cousin Rod. Uh, he's also a very prolific character actor and found a lot of success in the Joss Whedon universe in the cult hit uh, Firefly. There's Mark Sandrowski, the main director of many episodes of Teen Angel, went on to direct most of the Big Bang Theory. So obviously a big commercial success, artistic success. That's up to uh, interpretation. <laughs> Yeah, and then, of course, we have the Thiel twins, which I know Barry is dying to just talk about in terms They're of... They're so weird, Bryn. Please tell me you know more about them. I need to know. Okay, so in the pilot episode, they appear in two separate scenes where they say the exact same lines. In almost unison, they they move around in the scene and they deliver the line, smooth move, X-lax, and nice work, Shakespeare. And I don't know which order it's set in. But anyway, that's their line that they say twice in the episode. <laughs> so the Thiel twins were very famous commercial actors back in the late 80s and 90s. Um, and they appeared just as like those weird blonde twins and like hundreds of things. After their their acting career kind of fizzled, they took over their family business, uh, which was a sort of casual family dining restaurant. And that restaurant was actually featured on Kitchen Nightmares, Gordon Ramsay's. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay's. I love this discovery. (laughs) I'm immediately going to be watching this episode. Yeah. Yeah, so I desperately need to see that. I've I've been obsessed with Kitchen Nightmares. It's one of the few Oh, I love it too. Yeah, one of the the few trashy reality television shows I really get into. Anyway, Gordon Ramsay comes in. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it's you know, your standard um, American casual dining, but it has a lot of Italian food restaurant <laughs> and it it's wild. Like it is a real one of the best episodes of that reality show. Like the the twins are like they're just on fire. So I remember seeing in this rewatch, I was like, who are these guys? What do, what did I see them in recently? And of course, because the video that we were watching um, of Teen Angels, like really low quality, I couldn't quite like get the full picture of what these guys looked like i rewatched the kitchen nightmares episode and i was like it's them it's the guys from that restaurant (laughs) and uh yeah so that's just like a fun little nugget for anyone at first i was very confused because i was like oh 
So this episode is absolute bullshit and these guys are actors. So like this episode is not really, you know, a real thing because like obviously a lot of reality television is like, you know, BS and manipulated. But I did more research on it, of course, because, you know, I don't have much going on. (laughs) And these guys genuinely did run this family restaurant Uh, And unfortunately, it has been sold and they've kind of run into tough times these days. I just Googled that the restaurant was called the Capri Italian. And it went out of business permanently uh, just late last year. Oh, Oh. God. What city? Oh, geez. It's in California. Okay. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Teen Angel was created by Al Jean and Mike Reese who worked on The Simpsons for many seasons. And after the epic failure of Teen Angel, um, Al Jean just went right back to The Simpsons and was their showrunner from 2001 till today. So is it correct what I read that I guess he left The Simpsons after season four to do this? Uh, he I, he left uh, The Simpsons, I believe after season four, he signed a three-year deal with uh, Walt Disney um, and I believe uh, Teen Angel is the only project that would ever come out of that. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, so uh, he, you know, he he knows where his bread is buttered. Okay, do we want to talk about the breakout character? Uh, do you think there was a breakout I, character? Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. Um, the main character, Marty, yeah. is in a way the wackiest of the characters. But yeah. I think we can all agree that a show's central protagonist, by definition, is not typically intended to be the breakout character. So Yeah, it would be like if Balky was like leading Perfect Strangers. So my theory, okay, is that there are two options. Either Aunt Pam. Yeah. I don't know if she goes on to be a bigger player than she is in the first episode. I think think she's there in case they need a breakout. Okay. (laughs) Or Rod, God's cousin. No. No. No, hard. it's Marty. Yeah, it's Marty. It's it's not, it's all Marty. It's all Marty. They want him on the T-shirt. That's who they want. On it's the t-shirt. it's really weird because technically Steve should be the protagonist and Marty should be the like the breakout character. The funny should, sidekick. Right. Yeah. We want to see Marty in the afterlife. So they write all of these afterlife scenes with, yeah. with Cousin Rod. and I would imagine there's a first draft of the script that, that was the other way around. Yeah. But that would have definitely involved them having to actually acknowledge Steve's grief. Yeah, for losing and his... depression and yeah. subsequent depression. He lost his best friend at 16. And like at one point, Conchetta Farrell character simply implies that his friend is in hell burning yeah uh as one does to their nephew going through a hard time and also shortly before the death of marty um apparently steve's dad had left the family so poor steve had a lot going on so i you know I didn't catch the dad having left until a rewatch, uh, and that uh, that's interesting. That actually might bring us into a trope count because <laughs> random missing parent is yeah. definitely a oh, sitcom that's a good trope. one. Yeah, yeah. You know, last episode we talked about the blended family. Uh, there's always some sort of divorce element in a '90s family sitcom. Sure, or or even the death, like in yeah. Full House, which is yeah. bizarrely dark. I, and I think it's funny that you mentioned it because there's another trope is the live-in aunt was 
very big in the 90s because you yeah. had, yes, you had or Full grandma, House. Or grandma or... Yeah, yeah, you had Full House had it. Family Matters had it with Aunt Rachel. Another glaring thing is the hot mom trope. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, that, that one is it's okay. apparently Marty a necessity. Even, Marty even comments on how, how hot, hot Steve's mom yeah. is. She yeah. comes in in a slinky nightgown for absolutely no reason. She's making breakfast. And, and going back to what we were discussing at length before, these jokes that are pop culture or current events references that are so obviously like within the taste of the older writers who are writing the show for and sure. not at all applicable to the target audience. For sure. There's also a crossover episode. With Sabrina, later, right? With Sabrina. Oh, what? I remember that. I that was... not only is a crossover episode, they go back in time to <gasps> the 70s. What? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So to the 70s? Yeah. It oh, takes my. place in the 70s. Now, is this the same crossover night where Boy Meets World went to World War II? It might, it might be. Because it, Salem it, sends them back in time. I, yeah. I think it, that was like a crazy night. In TGIF, where, yeah, it's Salem's gone uh, rogue and is just, like, putting everyone back in time, I think. I don't want to spoil anything, but I feel like we're going to have to watch that entire evening of programming. <laughs> oh, maybe we do. I really, I remember yeah. at the time, back in the 90s, any time that a crossover episode would happen, that always bothered me. Like, I didn't like the worlds colliding. I didn't find that kitschy. <laughs> yeah. Like, when they tried to do a crossover between Seinfeld and Mad About You... I was just like irritated by it. Like, don't do that. Which connects them to friends as well. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I was a, I, and you know what? I'm still a sucker for a good crossover. Like, I, I love my worlds colliding. I like all, <laughs> I like all my action figures playing together, you know? Oh, <laughs> that's um, kind of sweet. Another, another way less exciting trope is. Basically, a big age gap between children and the family. Oh, yeah. Steve's younger sister is probably about eight years old. I'll give you $5 so you can tell me your name. It was Katie? I think it was Katie. Oh. Maybe that Don't was the name of the actress. Don't make bets with like that. You will lose money. Yeah, but I mean, uh, there's no way that character had a name. Okay, well, no, let's look it up right now. So, big age gaps. There's always a little kid and a teenager, which is actually really rare in real life. Barry, I know in your family, there's a bit of that dynamic. You were a bit of an oops baby. But yeah, I'm nine years behind my, my next brother and, tw and 12 behind my oldest. But like in general, it's not that common. Like I, I can attest though, I was a real cousin Oliver. So I, I definitely <laughs> was brought in to drum up the, the ratings again. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's... It, you don't don't you guys like kind of remember how many sitcoms, especially in the nineties? Oh, yeah, Boy Meets where World was, had Morgan. There, uh, there was like a baby and a sixteen-year-old. Oh sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because you need the cuteness of the baby, but yeah. you need the ability to write complex plots that you get from the adolescent. Yeah, and quite. I mean, uh, Ruthie famously entered into the uh, <clears throat> Cosby Show, uh, and. Uh, Definitely was an example of a child being brought in to once again revisit the dynamic that existed at the beginning of the show. You mean Raven Simone's character? Yeah. Her name was Ruthie? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, she certainly was. Yeah, it was Katie Beauchamp. That, that is Steve's sister. I was Damn. right. Damn. Uh, okay, let's look up the cosmic I know show better now. than to make bets with her. Uh, there goes your five dollars. Uh, this isn't a bet though, because I don't know. I don't really know the name. I just doubt that it's well, I mean, it's Ruthie. We don't need to really 
We don't I'm, really need <laughs> double no, or nothing. No, I'm going for it. Oh, it's Ruthie. I watched a lot of. Uh, Doesn't watched... matter what you watched. We don't need to. <laughs> it's either. Oh, it could be Olivia. It's Olivia. Ah. Right? Uh, raspberries. Just... <laughs> yeah, it's Olivia. All right. Ruthie was the next. Ruthie was the kid from Seventh Heaven. Yeah, Ruthie was the kid from Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Oh, I got I got another trope. That, okay. I, I'm another not trope? sure if this is a trope, but I feel like the really mean teacher that needs to be overcome. That's yeah. a sitcom. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember overcoming a teacher growing up. No, there were the teachers that you actually kind of liked, yeah. and then the teachers that you didn't really like, so you basically ignored them. And like, you, one assumes that Mark Metcalf never came back in a future episode, so like. You have to deal with that teacher all year long. You can't, you can't break him in the first first day of school. That that is definitely a trope. Yeah. Oh, I have one. Mm. The the floating head character. Oh yeah, Zordon. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> floating head. Absolutely. Yeah. They really, they really uh, felt they had nailed that effect, and they just needed yeah. to use it as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, twins. Twins who dress and speak in unison. Yeah. Also a big sitcom trope. Yeah. Um, you can tell if you're watching a sitcom or a horror movie based on the delivery of the twins speaking in unison. <laughs> I'm going to call this trope the you ruin everything, just leave me alone trope, oh, which is yes. that interpersonal conflict amongst high school kids always comes down to a moment where one of them says to the other in the angstiest way possible, you ruin everything, just leave me alone. <laughs> Maureen McCormick only lasted 11 of the 17 episodes. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wondering if it was because it was just so bad that she had to leave or if it was because of things in her personal life because uh, uh, unfortunately she had a lot of personal issues, including addiction issues. Um, but at that episode 12 marker, suddenly mom was gone and dad was back. No. And they brought in grandpa as well. Ooh, so they brought what? in two new characters to try to save the show. They were the cousin Oliver in this case. Okay, so yeah, that that's a, definitely a clear instance of a they show getting a, a show getting an order pickup. Uh, and retooling at the order pickup. So they probably yeah. had their first, they had their first uh, 11 in the can, got a, a series of order pickup, maybe around seven or eight, and they were told to clean it up. Guaranteed that's what happened. So under why was it canceled, my note is uh, that it's an uncomfortable premise <laughs> <laughs> to begin with, that uh, really just the idea of, having to deal with this this dead this dead kid who yeah. can only interact with his one friend like there are only so many plot lines that you can build around that that are super cliche mm -hmm. until you have to at some point explore things that are a little bit too serious for TGIF mm -hmm. so in our ongoing uh desire to try to write our own show pitch 
uh, on something that would absolutely get greenlit in the 1990s. Uh, I'll recap that uh, based on Aliens in the Family, we know that we want to do a blended family with a twist in a suburban home. Absolutely. Uh, I think after watching this, we can assume that a teenager navigating the pitfalls of high school would be useful, mm -hmm. uh, but not with the help of an angel. Uh, do either of you have an idea of who his or her confidant could be instead? Could be a demon instead. Guardian devil. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So we have a guardian devil helping a teenager navigate the pitfalls of high school. Sure. As part of a blended family. Let's also just throw in a live-in ant because it's going to come up again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there any other live-in, like, more distant relative? Oh, sure. Well, I mean... We had Cody living in the van. Was who? Who? What was his relation <laughs> on Step by Step? He was a cousin. He was a cousin. Okay. He was. He was Frank's nephew. Okay. So snide remarks from a from a live-in relative, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We'll we'll build we'll build the greatest pitch that television has ever seen. <laughs> so okay, so I only watched the pilot, but you guys both mentioned that you watched a little bit further did you watch another full episode what what was the deal there unfortunately yes i watched another full episode i just watched a chunk of another episode so okay so what so went down there a few noteworthy things um the first scene seems to be giving a pretty hard sell on the existence of heaven this i believe was coming from and pam so when i started watching it it did feel like it was the beginning of a first episode I, yeah, I mean, I get where you're going with this, but I really just think she's like one of those weird ladies who just likes angel statues. Like, that's a thing. Like, they're not oh, religious. Yeah. They just like angel statues. They like, well, like the, the porcelain. The, the yeah. precious, precious moments. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's like fully what the scene is. Barry, was, it, I was wondering about it. I was like, maybe they could have just solved all those problems with exposition if they just wrote a song that explained the plot like every other 90s sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that song would have been unlistenable. Teen Angel. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, another thing from this particular episode is the, well, I guess it's kind of tropey as well. Um, there's a plot where Steve is refusing to dissect a frog, which has basically been done in every single sitcom, every family drama. All of them. Also, All we're, of we're, them. we're also two frogs for two in two, yeah. in two shows. Oh, my God. Is this a thing? Oh, boy. Um, so anyway, so he's refusing to dissect the frog. And as a result, his, uh, his mom, Judy, has to go to the school and speak with the teacher. And the teacher is played by Yardley Smith. Nice. And uh, the, you know, Judy, the mom and the teacher are having this like nice little conversation together. And all the while, little shitty Marty is observing for some reason. And he makes a comment Oh, female bonding. This looks like the devil's work. Oh, yep, no. that's what he says. So with Yardley uh. Smith, uh, it seems like Al Jean might have been calling some old Simpsons friends because I caught uh, Marshall Wallace's name yeah. in the credits for yeah. the pilot. Yeah. 
Brutal. There was also an OJ trial reference in that same scene. Yeah. I can't pretend that I, Very I didn't topical. notice that. I mean, it was hard to get through a single day in the mid-90s without bringing it up, so yeah. I get it. At least that was like time appropriate and that the kids would have gotten that reference. Oh, yeah, they definitely would have. Also, the mother's full name comes out in that scene, Judy Rudy Faludi. Just A-plus writing. Like, to commit to that kind of silly throwaway name gag for yeah. an ongoing character... Yeah, they, they were not thinking ahead to season four when they were going to have to continuously mention her last name being Faludi. Did they ever think through how many episodes they could really make out of this? Like, how much hay can you harvest from this premise? <laughs> Bryn, would you like to do Six Degrees of Friends? Oh, sure. This one actually was quite straightforward. How many degrees do you guys think separates Teen Angel from Friends? Uh, once again, I'm going to posit that did Maureen McCormick date Joey? No. All right. So I'll go with two, two degrees. Um, and since you said that it was pretty straightforward, I'm also going to go low. I'm going to also say two degrees. Teen Angel is separated from the sitcom Friends by one degree. Not only did both Conchetta Farrell and Ron Glass guest star in Friends, but Gary Halverson directed for both Teen Angel and Friends. Barry, mm. do you have an idea of how this show might have been pitched at the time by oh. a drunk or coked out producer to a network executive? Yes, I think I might be able to pull this one off. Hey, Aaron, uh -huh. have you watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Uh-huh. It's a great show, isn't it? Uh-huh. There's only one problem. It doesn't have a boy as the main character. Mm. Why don't we do Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but a boy? Yeah. It would be great. He's got magic powers and he gets to help people through their problems. And it might be a great way to do a realistic exploration of how a teenager might cope with the death of his best friend. You'll ask me. All right, just the other stuff then. <laughs> Okay, so Teen Angel, what did everyone think of this? I think the most generous thing I can say about it is that I liked it mildly more than Aliens in the Family. That's a pretty low bar. I, um, I found a few little tidbits in Aliens in the Family almost redeeming on a conceptual level, but not well executed. Whereas, actually, to be honest, Teen Angel, it was a slog to make it through. Like, I watched two episodes, and by the end of that, I was done. Basically, a terrible, horny, anti-feminist version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Terrible. So how many stars? Negative 15. Perfect. All right. Well, on that note, I guess, like Marty, this episode is dead. All right. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. That. <laughs> this was fun. We all had a lot of laughs. But some things are no laughing matter. What lesson did we all learn from today's show? We learned that if you're going to do fantasy, you need to spend more than 50 bucks on visual effects. <laughs> and cut to credits. That Was a Show is a production of Radio Gizmo. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram for info about upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Next time on That Was a Show, 
Not sure what that's supposed to be. A beauty queen or something? Oh, who the hell knows? Gotta say, this was a genuine, like, Did not see this coming, did you? No. Anytime this show earns a legitimate laugh, I'm always embarrassed that it makes me laugh. Yeah. The jokes are just, set up those pins, knock them down. Knock them down. (laughs) Radio Gizmo.